All right, good morning once again. Let's take our Bibles and go to John's Gospel, chapter 10. And again, as I've been saying every week, part of our online church feature is to allow you to text in your questions from week to week. So if you have any questions on anything that I say today in the course of today's teaching, you can text it in to 703-844-9969, and I'll try to get to some of those questions next week at the top of the worship hour. All right, but for today, we're continuing here in our series, Jesus is the I Am, and we've been talking about how when Jesus speaks of himself as the I Am, he is using parallel language to what God said when he identified himself to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses encountered God in the burning bush, and God directed Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver the Hebrew slaves free from their slavery into the promised land, Moses asked God a question in Exodus 3.13, and he said, basically paraphrasing, well, when the people ask me, what is your name, what should I tell them? Who is it that is sending me? And this is when God then responds in Exodus 3.14, and he says, you tell them that I am is sending you. And so, God is the great I am, and Jesus uses the same language. In John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Abraham was 2,000 years before Christ. So, obviously, Jesus is asserting his divinity, and he is saying that I am God, and he is using the same language that God used in identifying himself in Exodus 3.14. And so, we're continuing in this series, Jesus is the I Am, because Jesus is God. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus attaches seven metaphors to these I Am statements to help us understand how he relates to humanity. And so, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know the list, but I'm going to go through it for the sake of those who are joining us for the first time. Here's the list of seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, I am the true vine. And today we're looking at number four as we continue in our series where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. This is out of John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus actually says it twice in verse 11 and again in verse 14. I'm going to read from John 10. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16, so you can follow along now if you have your Bibles there. Let me read. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
So again, this is where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We're going to be looking at this today, but first let's have a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, I just join my hearts with all those who are watching online today and who will later see this by video or hear it by podcast. And uh, Lord, we just want to come before you thankful for your, your loving, watchful care over us as the good shepherd. Help us as we study this to understand just how much you are concerned about us, just how much you love us and care about us. And Father, we're living in very unusual times, and we continue to pray for an end to this coronavirus. We pray for you to minister your healing touch to those who are sick with it. We pray you would minister your mercy to those who are grieving because they've lost loved ones. We pray for all of our first responders on the front line, even people stocking our grocery shelves. We just pray, Lord, for you to continue to work out your good purposes through this difficult time. We're trusting you. We're looking to you. We're leaning on you, not our own understanding. This doesn't make sense to us in many ways, but we trust you now. Open our eyes, especially the eyes of our hearts, as we study your word together now. We love and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody at home said, amen. Well, the story that we come to here in John chapter 10 is actually a continuation of where we were last week. Last week, we looked at the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. Today we're looking at verses 11 through 16, and last week it was more about the sheep, and today it's more about the shepherd. Of course, as I said last week, sheep and shepherds were common themes in Jesus' day, seeing again as how they were living in an agrarian society where much of their livelihood was dependent upon things like farming and fishing, agriculture, livestock. So the people of Jesus' day would have clearly understood this illustration, and it is an illustration because that's the word that actually appears in verse 6 of chapter 10. I'm reading again from the New King James Version. It talks about how this is an illustration that they didn't understand. If you have an ESV Bible, it says a figure of speech, and Jesus is using this metaphor language here to express his relationship to us, he being the shepherd, we, of course, being the sheep. Now, in the Bible, there are about 400 references to sheep, and there are about 100 references to shepherds. Now, since most of us aren't all that familiar with sheep, because we're not sheep farmers, we're not shepherds, uh, the closest that I ever came to sheep was gluing cotton balls on construction paper in elementary art class. That's probably your story, too. But for the sake of us who aren't all that familiar with the whole language of sheep and shepherds, let me just first talk a little bit about sheep. If you were with us through our study of Psalm 23, some of this will be a reminder to you. But really, almost every time that sheep are mentioned in the Bible, they are cast in a bad light. They are helpless, senseless, directionless, dirty, timid, oily balls of wool. That's really what they are. They're not fierce at all. They, they have no sharp teeth. They don't have jaws of steel like other animals. They don't have fangs. Uh, they don't have claws. 
They don't have a ferocious growl to scare off predators. They don't have fast legs. They can't run fast. They have spindly little legs. They have, they have nothing fierce about them. When your kids can't fall asleep, you tell them, honey, count sheep. Why? Because sheep are soothing animals. They're not ferocious. You don't tell your kids to count snakes. Snakes will give them nightmares. Sheep will give them happy dreams. If, if a truck overturns uh, in your neighborhood, and it has ferocious animals on it. You run in the house and you lock the doors. If a truck overturns with sheep in it, you gather the kids, you say, let's go on out, kids, and take a look at lamb chops. So they're nothing to be feared, because in fact, sheep are more afraid of you than, than, than we are of them, especially if you're wearing yellow. That's just a true fact. Sheep are scared of the color yellow, and so they're not fierce, they're not threatening, And so for all these reasons, and many more that I won't go into, we covered a lot of that in Psalm 23, but for all these reasons and more, they are completely dependent upon a shepherd, not just for their well-being, but listen, gang, for their very survival, for their very survival. I read this quote from a retired uh, professor of philosophy at uh, Bethel College. I think he meant this in tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but Dr. Bob Smith said, quote, the existence of sheep is evidence against the theory of evolution. He said there's no way sheep could have survived that process, end quote. In other words, the whole idea of the survival of the fittest, they aren't. They aren't fit. They can't survive without the loving care of a shepherd. The only time that sheep are placed in a favorable light in the Bible is when they come under the loving care of a devoted shepherd. And this brings us to our story. And the first thing to understand in the illustration that Jesus is using here is that sheep are a picture of all of us. Sheep are a picture of all of us. Now, I can hear some of you right now saying, whoa, 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 Pastor G, I find that a little offensive because you just got through saying that sheep are dumb and dirty. Well, actually, I said that sheep are dumb and dirty and helpless and a few other things. Regardless, they are a picture of us. I'm sorry to melt your dreams, Snowflake, but the reality is that the Bible teaches us that we are like sheep. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And in Psalm 100, in verse 3, it says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. David, when he would write Psalm 23, he would begin Psalm 23 by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. Why would he talk about the Lord that way? Because he understood the similarity between himself, between humanity, and sheep. And thus, we need a good shepherd because we are these senseless creatures. We are dirty. We are sinful. We are in need of attention and care and the kind of devotion that we can only really get from the good shepherd who is, of course, the Lord. And so, thankfully, as dumb, dirty, and helpless sheep... We have a good shepherd to take care of us, and his name is Jesus. And he identifies himself in this passage using this illustration that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. And please note with me that where he says it twice in verse 11 and again in verse 14, he uses the direct article, the. 
He is not a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the ultimate, perfect, good shepherd. And then at the end of verse 16, he says, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Not multiple flocks and not multiple shepherds. One flock, one shepherd. Now, there are not multiple flocks and multiple shepherds except in this sense. There are multiple flocks, lowercase f, when we talk about churches. Various churches across the world are like little flocks, and they have shepherds over those flocks, lowercase s. In fact, the word pastor in our English is translated in the Greek New Testament as poimen. Poimen in the Greek means shepherd. That's how it translates. So there are small flocks, lowercase f, meaning different churches. There are lowercase shepherds, meaning pastors, over those local flocks. But the truth is that we are all forming one body, that true believers in multiple flocks, lowercase f, small flocks, from every language, every tribe, every nation, make up the one flock, capital F, under the one shepherd, capital S, who is the chief shepherd, our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then the question is, what makes him the good shepherd? Why does he identify himself as the good shepherd? I'm going to share four simple things with you from this text The first thing that we see here in this text, what makes him a good shepherd, is that, number one, he is sacrificial. He is sacrificial. He says there, right at the beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he repeats it in verse 15 when he says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So it's very sacrificial language there. I give my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. A good shepherd stands in the way of harm to protect his sheep. They would risk their lives fighting against predators like wolves and lions, against thieves and robbers who would wish to destroy the flock, who would wish to harm the flock or steal the flock. A good shepherd would always stand in the way and fight, fight to defend the sheep, to protect them. And the shepherd was willing to lose his life in order for the sheep to have theirs. And this is an incredible thing that Jesus is saying here, because the supreme sacrifice that a person could make for another is to give one's life so that someone else might have life. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. He laid down his life. He willingly gave his life. And he stood in between the thing that opposed us, the thing that threatens us, which is sin. And he took on sin, though he himself knew no sin. The Bible says he became sin. He took on our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so he 
stood in between the greatest threat to us, the thing that poses the greatest threat to us, which is our own sin. He dies on a cross, protecting us, laying down his life, that through faith in him we might have life. This is the good shepherd. Sacrifices his own life for the sake of the sheep, for the sake of you and me, that we might have life. And by the way, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, which is what he alludes to in this passage. I didn't read. If you look in your Bibles at verses 17 and 18, he says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So he speaks there about how he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die, but he's going to take up his life again. He's going to rise from the dead. But he willingly lays down his life. Nobody takes it from him. I mean, even though the Jews demanded his death and the Romans acquiesced, the reality is all of us crucified Christ. We're all, we're all guilty of crucifying Christ because he went to the cross for all of us because all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect glory. And yet, it wasn't done to him in the sense that he had to oblige according to what humanity did. He obliged because of his love for humanity. This was part of the perfect plan of God for the redemption of mankind. He lays his life down. No one took it from him. He laid it down. He gave it away that we might live. And then he took it up again, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, and he's coming again. This is our good shepherd. Sacrificial. Another thing that identifies him as our good shepherd you see in, in, in this story is, number two, that he was loving. I mean, you can't talk about a sacrificial shepherd without realizing that he's a loving shepherd. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus would say just a couple chapters later, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus lays down his life as a demonstration of his love for us. To lay down his life is evidence of his love for us. He didn't just say that he loved us. He showed that he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us on a cross. This is why the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrated his, demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a demonstration of his love. He's a sacrificial shepherd. He is a loving shepherd. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? I mean, we sing that song in Sunday school as kids, and even if you didn't grow up in church, you've, you've heard the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but do you really believe what you're singing? Because there are a lot of people who struggle with accepting the love of God. Maybe it's because you feel this shame and guilt over past sin. Maybe it's because you just simply feel unworthy and you keep telling yourself that God couldn't possibly love you. Maybe it's because the enemy is playing games with your thoughts and he wants you to believe that God loves everybody else except you. Whatever the reason might be, I just want to invite you, accept the love of God. Because God's love is a gift. It is a gift. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that what? 
he gave. He gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. He demonstrates his love for us. Do we deserve it? No. Are we worthy of it? No. But it's a gift. God says, even though you don't deserve it, even though you and I don't warrant it, we we can't earn it, we're not worthy of it, God says, nevertheless, I love you and I demonstrated my love for you by dying on a cross for your sins. Accept his love as a free gift. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd because he's sacrificial. Number two, because he's loving. Number three, he's a good shepherd because he is caring. He's caring. In the section that we read between verses 12 and 13, Jesus distinguishes between a good shepherd and a hireling, what he calls a hireling. And in verse 13, at the end of verse 13, he says, a hireling does not care, circle the word care in your Bibles, a hireling does not care about the sheep. That's one of the things that distinguishes a good shepherd from a hireling. A hireling is just somebody who's paid to do a job. But a good shepherd loves the sheep and has a calling to care for the sheep. A good shepherd has a vested interest in the sheep. The hireling that Jesus is referring to here is just someone who's paid to do a job. And so at the first sign of danger, a hireling will run. A good shepherd will fight. The hireling flees. The good shepherd fights. It's the difference between a good shepherd being one who was called and a hireling being one, it's just a job. Now, those of you who are moms, you know the difference between a calling and a job? Of course you do. When your kid is throwing up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you don't go into his bedroom and say, listen, I'm sorry, vomiting hours are 9 to 5, and uh, I've already punched out. I'm off the clock. Sorry, I can't help you. I'm going to go back to bed where hireling dad is fast asleep. He didn't hear you heaving. No mom says that. Why? Because she understands being a mom is a calling. It's not a job. You have a vested interest in those kids. You You don't punch out. Dads and moms, you love your kids. It's the difference between a calling and a job. Jesus is referring here to the fact that he's called. He doesn't love us because he has to. He loves us because he wants to. He doesn't care about us because he has to. He cares about us because he wants to. This is the heart of a good shepherd. And by the way, he cares about every single need that the sheep have. There's no need that you have which is too small and no need too great for God. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. This is exactly what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your cares upon him, or NIV says, cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares about you. This is our good shepherd. He is sacrificial. He is loving. He is caring. And the last one is, number four, he is personal. He is personal. Now, I say that because of what Jesus says in verse 14. If you look in your Bibles there at verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. He's speaking here in relational terms. He's saying, I want to be a personal shepherd with you. A good shepherd is a personal shepherd. 
God is not some distant God, far removed from humanity. He is a personal, knowable God. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi got it wrong when he once said, God is that indefinable something which we all feel but which we cannot know. Gandhi was wrong. God is knowable because God is personal. Jesus says here, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Do you know him? I mean, do you know? I'm talking about in a personal way, not just know him intellectually. There's a lot of people who know Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. Not in the heart, not in a personal way. But the fact is that taking Jesus' words at face value, you can know him. He already knows you. But you can know him in a personal way by having a personal relationship with him. He doesn't have to be this distant God. He doesn't have to be this far-removed spiritual being. Jesus says he's the good shepherd because he's knowable. He's personal. And he wants relationship with you. This is why he dies on a cross. This is why the good shepherd lays down his life, takes it up again, conquering sin and death, opening the doorway for us to have relationship with him. Jesus is a relational Lord. And he wants to have personal relationship with you. You know, we all go through different things. We all experience ups and downs and to be quite honest, I was going through something earlier in the week, and I just said to Terry, I said, I'm going to go on a drive, and I just, n- nothing, you know, sinful, nothing, you know, um, deep, but just, I just needed to visit with the Lord. Took a long drive out to Bluemont, found a little tiny Baptist church on a back road, sat in the gravel parking lot, and just prayed and just met with the Lord. And He met me there, and I can tell you, that he is a personal Lord. And I want you to know him in that personal way because he wants to be known in that personal way. That he will meet you right where you are. That you can actually commune with him and spend time with him and get to know his voice and develop a relationship with him. But it begins with a decision, a humbling decision where you just have to humble yourself Acknowledge your need for a Savior. Recognize that you're a sinner like me, like everybody else. And cry out to Him. And ask Him and invite Him to come into your life to be Lord and Savior. And I want to end today's service by giving you the opportunity to do just that. Would you be willing to pray this prayer with me right where you are today? Maybe you're in a room with other people. And maybe you would look around the room and maybe others would want to pray the prayer with you. But I want to invite you to just pray a simple prayer because becoming a follower of Jesus starts with a decision. It doesn't end with a decision. It starts with a decision that you trust Christ as your Savior and then you live a life that's surrendered to Him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer with me. It begins with a decision. Pray this prayer with me right where you are. I'm going to go slowly so you can pray it with me. Just pray it with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I want you to be my good shepherd. I want to know you in a personal way. And so I make a decision today to trust you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Thank you for sacrificing your life for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you that you are a personal Savior. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Take over my life. I surrender to you as the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you. Let us know. Uh, you know, when you text the church to let us know, it's your way of being public about it. So I invite you right now, take out your cell phones, text to the church, the number on your screen there, 703-844-9969. Just text the words, I have decided, or just the word decided. Just let us know of your decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior so that we can rejoice with you. And then we'd love to give you follow-up information by just giving you a book by Greg Laurie for new believers and to send you a Bible if you want to receive that. You can let us know at the same time. But we'd love to rejoice with you. So take time even now to let us know that you prayed and made that decision to trust Christ as your Savior. And again, if you have questions from today's Bible study, you can use the same phone number. Text in your questions this week to 703-844-9969. Remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. Aren't you glad? I know I am. I'm going to toss it over to Pastor Austin now for a few closing words and a closing word of prayer. God bless you.